light and dark, right? Light and dark. It is good. Land and oceans, God views and says, it is good. Plants and animals, it's good. Sky and earth, seasons and days, time and space, it is good. That's what he's saying. After everything, everything he accomplishes, everything that he creates, he looks at it and enjoys it, admires celebrates the work of his hands. But then we get to Adam by himself and God says, not good, not good. This and that, this and that, this corresponding thing with this corresponding thing. So there's, a, there's that land and animals, like, right? Plant animals, it goes and, 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 Adam and no one. And God says, not good. All the other things correspond and work together and complement each other, but there's nothing to work with, complement, be a companion to Adam. This is not good. He's by himself. He's the one person. Now, this is wild because, recall, this is Genesis 2. This is not Genesis 3 or beyond. This is not after the fall. This is pre-fall. He's in paradise, and he has this command to, to work and keep the garden. He has a God to worship and talk to. He has animals that he names, and I, I assume he would use them to help him do his work. But God says this paradise is not paradise. It's not complete. It's not good. Now, Adam, he's searching through all the other creatures there was, and not a helper fit was found for him. He doesn't find anyone. He's living, working alone. He needs Another, another to fulfill God's blessed command to be fruitful and multiply. Another for friendship and support, assistance and community. Why? 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 We need to answer this theologically. Why? Because God made Adam in God's image. And what is central to God? What's central to God is that he is one essence, but three persons, three in one. So we return back to, if we're going to root and understand and think about singleness, we have to root ourselves and understand again the Trinity, that God is three in one. God is the perfect community. Mutual love and praise and joy together. Three persons, three equal persons, united, one, always living in this perfect friendship. And Adam being created in the image of God means he, us, are created to be in community. And, and that's not even enough. That language doesn't do it justice. You weren't just created to be in community. You were created a communal being. By, by being stamped with the image of God and representing and symbolizing God, Adam, it's not good for him to be alone because he's created communal with other people, just like the Father pours into the Son through the Spirit and the Son responds to the Father in adoration and prays through the Spirit. Adam in isolation then is not good. Not good. One person is not good because the Creator is three persons in one. The Godhead is communal. So the man, what God is saying, needs a partner alongside of him that can help him. The commissioning 
by God to reign over the land involves work and tasks that they must accomplish together, which means, hear me, for humanity to flourish in this world, women are needed and necessary. We are to do this together. So isolation is not the norm. We need one another. Can you look around? Look around? See the people around you? You need one another. Can I be a, a 1990s Baptist? Look, tell someone beside you, you need them. That's, I think that's why they did that, because they're like, I'm saying these things. I don't think they get it. Maybe that's why they always do. I'm going to start doing that all the time. Shane, look at your wife and tell you you need her. Yeah, this, every Sunday, this is happening now. <laughs> Just kidding. It's true, though. We need one another. We're to do this together. We need one another for God's mission, for life to thrive. Now, not just as husband and wife, but as male and female. Isolation alone is not good. All right. And now I know that, that you guys who do feel alone, whether you're not married or you lack the, the rich, meaningful friendships, you, just, you don't have those rich, meaningful friendships, and, and you feel it's not good. Like, being alone is not good. Isolation, your, your soul groans and resonates within you as you hear God say, it's not good. There's others of you that, that are married and have people around you, but you can stand in a room of 30 people and still feel as if no one knows you. That you're surrounded by people, but alone. Surrounded by others, but isolated. Thinking in your mind, this is not good. Like almost having an out-of-body experience, like all these other people are connecting, and I, I'm not. This isn't good. And then some of you are single and have the desire to be married. It's, it's a God-given desire. It's a good desire. But then you observe others getting married, others having kids, others outrunning you passing you in the race of life and think this is not good. And if this desire I have is from God, but he's not giving it to me, then you begin to ask, is he good? Like, why is he withholding this goodness from me? And when your friends respond by saying, you're young, you have time, or it'll happen one day, or just know that singleness is a gift, uh, you hate it. it. Just it it scratches like fingernails on a chalkboard of your soul. It makes it worse because you don't feel like this is a gift. It feels like agony. It feels like suffering, and people not entering into it with you, but lobbing statements at you from a distance makes you feel lonelier, further isolated because they aren't in this with you. You are in this by yourself. So let's unpack this text and a few from the New Testament to understand all of us. And you're like, I'm not single. I tuned out. If that's you, if you've tuned me out for the past 10 minutes, come back. This is for all of us. Genesis 2, 18 through 20. Then the Lord God said, 
It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. Now, this text has been used to argue for the absolute normality of marriage, that a person must be married. But let's return to God. In him being three in one, Adam is to enjoy the relationships that come from plurality. The creator considers the being alone that, that quite negatively. Because there is a full life which is found in community. Community was not found for the man. He uh, uh, had the parade of animals go by. He names them all, and there's no one, and, and not more than one, that he finds community there. There's not community with giraffes. There's not community with the zebras. There's not community with, he, he just, he's there alone by himself. So God created a helper. God created another. Where there was one in isolation, now there's two together. Friendship, community, plurality, that's what's happening here. Mutual help is an essential part of the human existence. So we do this together. Now, Tim Keller observes that the passage teaches the overall goodness of relationships between males and females, not the absolute normality of marriage. If you're not married here, you don't have to be married here. You don't have to. I get into a little bit, but that is not the context of rich, meaningful friendships. The church is. The church is the context for rich, meaningful friendships. If you're single here, the goal is not for you to get married so that you'll have something that you're missing. The goal is for you to be in this family and know that we all need one another. And this is the context where there's friendship and mutual love and care and respect and help for one another. So if you're single or married or thrice divorced, this is the context of community, not your marriage. He says this, male and female complete each other and reflect the image of God together. But this is not something that only married people do. It happens quite naturally in strong Christian community where the sharing of hearts and lives goes beyond <clears throat> the superficial down to what the superficial down to what God is teaching us and how he is forming us and growing us. One more, he says, the Genesis narrative is implying that our intense relational capacity created and given to us by God was not fulfilled completely by our vertical relationship with him. God designed us to need horizontal relationship with other human beings. This is why even in paradise, loneliness was a terrible thing. That's why it can be frustrating for me that, that men and women are so fearful of knowing one another and caring for one another because culturally, all opposite gender relationships are sexualized, but they don't have to be. They don't have to be. All strong friendships do not have to be sexualized. Within Christian friendships, guys and gals have all the one another's stated in the New Testament. The one another's which equate to friendship and discipleship, know one another and 
care for one another and love one another and serve one another and confess one another, rebuke one another, encourage one another. Now, is there wisdom in this and how this plays out and, and, and being with someone? Uh, uh, yes. I don't have time to go on those nuances, but I, I just wanted to say, I think we've so fractured this and so uh, adopted uh, the, the world's view of men and women friendships that they're going to be sexualized or that's what they're immediately going to do. That's where they're going to head no matter what, that we end up lobbing ourselves off from ministering to any other person that doesn't have the same chromosomes as us. Now we, we need one another. Brothers and sisters, you need sisters to speak into your life. There's things discernment-wise that you need others and their gifts to speak into your life. If, you're, if God is trying to, to gift you with, with one of his spiritual gifts through one of his people, but it's a woman, you're like, no, I'll never. Where's that gift going to go? What I'm just saying is <laughs> we can care for one another and love one another without giving over to any temptation. Because we need one another. Now, some of you might jump ahead of me and, and think, God says it's not good for man to be alone in Genesis, but I know that Jesus and Paul live single, so they said it was a good thing. How's that work out? If it's not good for man to be alone, then why does God in the flesh, Jesus, and the greatest missionary and church planner ever, Paul, live a life of singleness? Jesus answers that in Matthew 19. Jesus says, not everyone can accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given, for there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. He says there are people who are unable to get married and have children because of birth or at the hands of other people. That someone has, has, has done something to that, that they can't sterilize them, something where they can't. But then he says, there are people who willingly give up the blessings of marriage and children for the sake of the kingdom of God. They voluntarily choose to live a life of singleness and sexual purity. Not because of birth, not because someone did something, but they willingly choose this. No marriage, no children for the sake of Jesus. And this is possible because you no longer to need to be blessed in God's family through marriage and children. That's prior to Jesus. Prior to Jesus... You must be an Israelite, a Jewish person, person to receive God's covenant blessings and then have them passed down to your children. It's God's family. God's family grew through reproduction. That's a cultural mandate, right? And I said earlier, to be fruitful and multiply. From Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and all his offspring, his heritage, his family line are the people of God. But no longer. People come into God's family not by being in the bloodline of Abraham, but trusting in the blood of Jesus. And actually, you find out that's been true the whole time. Now, back to the eunuch. Jesus used the picture of the eunuch because he was a, a model of devoted service. Without a spouse or children, without distractions or family matters competing for his attention, he could be focused singularly on loyal service to his king. What does the king need? How can I serve the king? 
what would help the king. And a voluntary eunuch is the single life that Paul has in mind for himself and others. That devoted life of loyal service to the king. Intentionally choosing to minimize other distractions so that you can, uh, as much as possible, give your undivided attention and service to the Lord. That's why Paul can say, not being married is good. Do you feel the tension? God's saying, it's not good for me to be alone. And Paul's saying, it's good for a man not to be married. You're like, what? I'm confused. Feels a little odd. What's going on here? Because in 2 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 7, he says this, to the unmarried and to the widow, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. Remaining unmarried is good. Not marrying and remaining sexually pure is good. To be clear, though, he's not contradicting Genesis. If you, you, find, if you find a contradiction in the scriptures, uh, uh, why don't you come forward to one of your pastors and let's talk about it. To grab someone. There's something you're like, oh, what about this and this? Let's talk about it. And we'll get to it. And we'll show scriptures don't contradict each other. There's no contradiction here. He's not saying that's good to be alone. Now, this is the big difference. Paul does not equate singleness to being alone. Singleness does not equate to being alone. It does not. That's how we think. We think single means only. Single means isolation. Single means lowliness. Paul does not picture a life of singleness equating to a life lived in isolation. If you are single, that doesn't mean you are alone. It doesn't. Or should live in isolation. It's that you should rip that lie out of your head and replace it with this. This life. The life Paul describes repeatedly through the scriptures. This singleness is lived in close community and friendship. That's what you need to replace it with. The truth is, I do have a family. The truth is, if, if, if you are a, a, female, a female single gal here, you have the perfect husband. The truth is, you have brothers and sisters. The truth is, you have a context where you are not alone, but you've been pulled into, adopted, given a new heart, and placed in a new family that says, hey, you're in the context of rich, meaningful friendships. Get after it. And you're like, well, that's not my experience. Can I tell you, I'm sorry. I know that. We have such a bifurcation. Like it, when people get married, then they leave all their single friends. Never talk to them. Or if you're single, like, I don't know if I can get into my, my married friends, like, rhythm and stuff. Can I, like, show up? Can I pop in their house? Can I say, like, what does this look like? And we separate. It's like, no, we all need one another together. If we look at Paul and Jesus as examples, we find that neither lived their single lives in lonely isolation, but as individuals closely connected to a spiritual community of brothers and sisters. Deep friendships, that's what they had. Enjoy the theological rich letters of Paul but don't miss all the relational dynamics of Paul. Read him like he's a hard guy with no friends. You just mean and yelling at people. No, no. Familial, loving, says at times that I treated you, I nursed you like a mother to its child. 
That's how he said he treated her, treated them at times. Though Jesus lived a single life, it was rich in friendships. With the new family he did life with, he ministered, he ministered with. So the family of God is now not the, those of Abraham's family tree. The family of God, as Jesus says, are those who hear the word of God and do it. The family of God does not necessarily grow by having children. The family of God grows through not reproduction, but regeneration. People being born again. People repenting of their sin and putting their faith in Jesus. People becoming Christians through being given new hearts. So you see that. You see, what, what does it look like for this family to grow and, and have this context in this community? Well, in Genesis, you have the, the command, the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. That's how it grows. But in Matthew 28, you have the command, the Great Commission, to make disciples. Proclaiming the gospel and helping others put their faith in Jesus. The family of God grows through non-Christians becoming Christians. Trusting and submitting to God. That's why I can say that singleness does not equate to being alone. Then Paul goes even further and says confidently that he wants others to stay as he is, single. Why? Because their undivided service to Jesus, undivided in their thoughts and cares, focused on the glory of God, like the voluntary eunuch that Jesus spoke of. So that's what Jesus spoke of in Matthew about the eunuch, but then Paul picks it back up in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy in both body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper, and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. So the case he's making is, Singleness is not equate to loneliness. Singleness can be a gift where you're undivided in your service and joy and loyalty to King Jesus. And everything you think and wake up is not, uh, does my spouse, should I make my spouse coffee this morning? What should I get her and help her with? It's what, what do I need for King Jesus? King Jesus, King Jesus, King, King Jesus, King Jesus, like always. And you're like, well, that seems weird. Like, shouldn't Christians have, should always have it? Yes, we should all have that bent. But he's saying and highlighting that there's this space, there's this gift where the body of Christ enjoys uh, people that are different, have different gifts, and are also in different stages of life or have different callings on their life. And maybe they will be single throughout their life. And we need us all together. Because it's not good for any of us to be alone. If you're single, it's not good for you to be alone. If you've been married for 50 years, but, but your relationship has kind of died out and you feel like uh, uh, more like roommates than husband and wife, it's not good for you to be alone. No one. We all need one another. And so he's saying, he's not forsaking, Paul's not forsaking rich, rich, meaningful friendships at all by being unmarried. 
Actually, it is by not pursuing marriage that he can do ministry and have many, many deep, meaningful friendships where people are meeting Jesus. Some of you that are single should prayerfully consider and pray and then choose to remain to be single like Paul for undivided service to King Jesus. And the truth is, some of you who are single should pursue marriage. Now, I can't, I can't divide that for you, but I just want to tell you, some should do this and some should do this. Because often our mindset that pervert, pervades our Western culture does not parallel Paul's statement that we see marriage as that rich, meaningful place for friendship and nowhere else. And then we see singleness as this place of having fun and having your own time. But that's a lie. The church is the place of rich commitment and meaningful friendship. And all Christians, single or married, are called to rich, meaningful relationships. Pursuing, cultivating, building relationships that build up others. So that's the big idea. Whether you're married, you're single, whatever, you were created for rich, meaningful friendships. Now, if you're single and you're like, I, I, I don't know how to experience that in the church, you're telling me that this is the context. And, and I'll tell you, very similar to those that are married, just like it was difficult for those that are married to get to the point where they were growing in their friendship, it's the same for all of us. And it's the same for our kids. Uh, so often I tell my kids, hey, you've got to start this. And then they start it, and I'm like, you've got to keep going. You know why? Because they start it, and they're not immediately good at it, and so they give up on it. And I think that's what many of us do with our relationships. If it doesn't click immediately, if there's not instantaneous chemistry, we'll give up and move on. If, if it takes work to actually grow, then we'll just find something that's the easiest. No, no. Friendship and marriage takes work. Friendship in church takes work. Intentionally pursuit. You are friends with God because he pursued you, not because you walked to him. So to be friendly and to cultivate friends means we are going to image God by doing the same thing he did to us. And we're going to pursue others. Even when they reject us, when they, when they sin against us, when they hurt us, we're going to keep pursuing. Because this, not, not Sunday morning corporate worship, I mean this family, this people, the church, is the context for rich, meaningful friendships. It's not good for any of us to be alone. And if you are in Christ, you're not. And you never will be. But in experience that and getting into, we actually have to work to cultivate these friendships. That's why we chose the word cultivate. We didn't say Passively slide into deep friendships. Drift, like on a boat, into just good, 
trustworthy, awesome friendships. It doesn't happen. It takes that work to cultivate it. The power of the church, this family, is when you turn from your desire to be loved to choosing to love and serve others. When you know that, so, that, that you, can't, you don't have to selfishly go into a place or a family and say, I have to have all these people to love me, but you know that we are all fully, richly, abundantly loved by the Father that we can just move into and love one another. where there is not a lonely person in the room, a lonely person in the family. The bond of the new family through Jesus is stronger than even the bloodline with your natural family. Which means this is good. The church is good. Being a family is good. That God is good. Meaning that God's goodness is not based upon your Facebook status of single or married. And God is not evil if your status says single. God is not good if your, your status says married. God is good because he sent his son to be forsaken and cut off that we might be made his sons and daughters. God is good because he is working whatever Facebook says you have now to make you more like Jesus. That God is good because in your suffering, he is refining you to enjoy and worship him above all things. Now, I know some of you that are single are wrestling with pursuing marriage or not. And for that reason, and for what reason, and, and, and what to do now in your singleness. And I just, I want to talk about and finish with trying to two predominant ways to think about this if you're single. And, and if, again, if you're married or, or, or not even thinking, I don't know where you're at, wherever you're at. Don't tune me out because what I'm trying to do is give all of us, I'm trying to give our singles a theology and a thought of how to actually engage this. But I'm also giving all of us, how can we love and actually come along and not be the, those <laughs> that lob like platitudes from a distance at our singles. But actually, how do we come along and care? Two dominant ways of approaching this. If you're single and not married, some of you think you're a freak if you're single and not married. You grew up in a more traditional smaller town or traditional family, and every time you see your old family, your old friends, they ask you if you're married yet. Because in traditional and Eastern cultures, you are not a legitimate person if you're not married. You haven't started life until you're married and have a family. You're, you're essentially in the waiting room in those cultures. You're on the on-deck circle. You're not actually in the game. And this is why some of you don't go home during spring break or holidays because this culture sees you as a freak and you're tired of hearing the same questions and being seen as a second-class citizen. So some of you don't want to be single because you're seen as a freak. 
your pursuit of marriage is you're pursuing it driven by you don't want to be a freak. You want to be validated. Now, others of us grew up in a more modern Western culture family, maybe in a city or more urban center. And in your singleness, you want to be married for personal fulfillment, right? That's the thing that drives more Western cultures. Because in Western thought, marriage is seen as being for you. It is focused on you. It's a disposable asset based on if it really helps you or not. So you get married if it helps your happiness, if it benefits your social status. You get added financial security. And people, Christian people, will tell you to go to one or the other without pointing out the idolatry in both. As if because this is traditional, then it is the good old days, so it is holier than current. But you can't put your value or hope in being married. You don't actually become someone when you get married. It doesn't validate you. It doesn't justify you. And you can't just swim in today's culture without knowing the idolatry of marriage being all about you. So here's the truth. Marriage and singleness is not all about you. They both are about Jesus. And marriage won't give you all that you're looking for. Only Jesus can do that. So we, we need Jesus to be the center of who we are and how we live as a church, which then changes our view of singleness. It is different than the idolatry of marriage, often seen in traditional culture, and it frees singles from the shame of being unmarried. It speaks realistically and not sentimental, uh, uh, sentimentally about marriage. It treats singles like equal members and leaders in the church. But it's also different than the idolatry of individual choice and happiness, of personal fulfillment being central. It frees singles from the, the selfish, self-focused lie that giving yourself to another person in marriage is about you. And ultimately how you benefit from this relationship because of the good news of Jesus making us his and making us uh, this new family, you don't have to drift into either idolatry to either over-desire marriage as in traditional culture or to fear marriage as in contemporary culture. But some do both instantaneously, simultaneously. On one hand, you guys beat yourself up for not being married in a traditional way. And then on the other hand, you seek personal fulfillment through sex or living together without being married in a Western way. And what we need to do is to turn from traditional or Western thought and put our hope and life in Jesus to trust Jesus with what he is doing in you and where he is taking you. The beauty for you, single person, is that after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, singleness illustrates great truths as marriage does. If you recall, we started this by saying marriage is not just about marriage. Marriage is the metaphor that points to the cosmic marriage, the cosmic romance of Christ and his bride, the church. But you know that singleness also points and illustrates the, the beauty of God 
Whether you choose to remain single for undivided service to Jesus or you are single now and looking towards marriage, singleness is something you can embrace and enjoy for the time being or for the long haul because your singleness shows off a specific aspect of the glory of God. So I, I, maybe visually, what I'm saying is we need each other right? That we need, because we need the different gifts and the people in this family to help and to come alongside and, 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 and do the things that they do. So it's about that, right? That's, that's what these communities are about. But also, you and your singleness and you and your marriage, all of those together point more and more to the glory of God. We get a more robust picture of who God is in this family when there are married folks and single folks, and they're operating together and in that and working it with their gifts to the glory of God that this actually illustrates and points to the majesty of God. So are you married? Your marriage is about Jesus. And if you're single, you're seeing this, it's about Jesus. And in both of those, you get to honor and point to how good he is, no matter where you're at or what your circumstance is. So John Piper, John Piper says this about singleness. He says, singleness as God's design is this. I want you to see, how does this point to? How does this illustrate some great truths of who God is? He says this, to display, sorry, singleness as God's design is four things. To display that the family of God grows not by reproduction through sexual intercourse, but by regeneration through faith in Christ. Your singleness points to that. That we, you don't need to be married and then have a kid to make a disciple. You need to share the gospel, pray that they would repent and believe, come to Jesus. And you say, there's the family growing. They're believing in the son. Or to grow the single, singleness has got design too. To grow the single progressively more into the image of Jesus through the specific difficulties and joys of singleness. Three, to capture more of the single's life for non-domestic ministry that is so desperately needed in the world. And that's what Paul's speaking of, 1 Corinthians 7. That undivided loyal service to the Lord. And four, to magnify the all-satisfying worth of Christ that sustains lifelong chastity, sexual purity. That if you're single and you choose to stay single, to remain loyally committed, devoted to service to the king, then he is so beautiful and wonderful that he is such the treasure that we need, that we long for. And we go to all these other cheap substitutes to replace, but he's the one. And when we have him, we can say no even to the sexual desires we have for the rest of our life because he's that worth it. That it's a real, and, and people will argue like, well, biologically this, this, and this. <laughs> and the Bible's saying, okay, and Jesus is enough to sustain loyal, undivided service to him for all of your life and to sustain lifelong chastity. So there are good reasons for getting married. There are good reasons for remaining single. But Jesus says, 
Some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let anyone accept this who can. So some people decide they can serve God better by remaining single. But my hope with this is that you don't cope with your singleness. That you don't resign to suffer with your problem or illness. But that you would live as a person loved by the Father in your current state. That you grasp the opportunities your singleness brings with enthusiasm. That you would ask God, what are you going to do with and through my singleness? And, that, and that's true for everyone. If you're married, don't live married, but wanting to live as a single person, right? If you're married, you should be fantasizing what it would be like to be a single. Or a parent that tries to live the life of a person who does not have children. Wherever God has you now, don't envy other people, but know this is where God has placed you and he is for you, using uh, where you are now to conform you more into the image of Jesus. He's with you. You are not alone. And he's made us the new family that will outlast our, our physical families. Our bond is the blood of Jesus. So we're able to pursue rich, meaning, meaningful friendships that will last forever. So be friendly. Cultivate deep friendships, beautiful friendships. Doing this life alone is not, go, not good. And we can't. We can't do this alone. It's not good. Being a part of God's family, that is good. Rich, meaningful friendships, that is good. Doing ministry with those that we will worship Jesus with forever, that is good. Being a family and not isolated and have God look at our situation and say, that's not good. No, we are his people together forever. That is good. Why? Because Jesus is good. Father, we confess that, that you are good. And we confess that because that, that lie is really, there, there's a lie there to really easily believe in singleness or not getting what we're hoping or, or, or praying for things and, and not seeing you give these. We can be very frustrated, can become bitter, can really question if you are in control and good or that could you really love us if this is, this is where we're at? Or if this is what you've placed us? But Father, I pray that we would see that, that you are good. And that you are good to us. And Lord, I pray that that ministry really is done at the speed of relationships. I pray for more relationships here. Honesty and vulnerability and openness and pursuit of one another. More care. And I pray that we would not 
even when we sing things sometimes that say that you're all that we need, that that's, that's the intent of our heart. We, we, we understand, I think, the, the poetry of that language, but Lord, the truth is you've created us to need you and, and to need others. And so there's those lies that say that we're lonely, we're isolated, that we're cut off, that we're on the margins, that no one knows us or could even know us or understand what we have done or where we've been. Lord, I, I ask that you would rip the lie out of our heads and replace it with the truth that we are a family we need one another. Christ's name we pray. Amen.